Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes to us from Shay Starrett. Shay is the founder and owner of The Spark, a yoga therapy and healing arts boutique based in New Hampshire. The Spark is a virtual and in-person health and healing arts collective that serves clients from around the world. Shay's work is centered on helping men and women struggling with trauma, post-traumatic stress, chronic stress, and pain and persistent anxiety. At The Spark, Shay works to provide customers with innovative, personalized, and transformative experiences to help them master self-care and proceed on a lifelong healing journey. Enjoy the listen. Shay Starrett, and I own a little boutique mental health and healing arts studio. It's called The Spark Mental Health and Healing Arts Boutique. Um, my physical location is in Keene, but I have a, a telehealth practice, so I, I work with people outside of the Keene area. But my specific focus is expanding people's what they think mental health treatment looks like, feels like. You know, I, I think over the last 300 years, we've kind of been indoctrinated into this method of therapy. You know, you're having mental health issues, you see a talk therapist, psychotherapist, you know, a little more cognitive based. And that work is amazing. Um, but there is also an energetic component and uh, a somatic component, which I know you and I have talked about. <clears throat> so it's just opening up people's eyes to what mental health treatment can actually look like um, in a new way. I think it's so timely that we're having this conversation around this topic. And I love the fact that you said there's like 300 years of of history around mental health and, <clears throat> and maybe not so much the wellness part, but right. <laughs> more the mental health part, I would say. Yeah. Um, I recently read this amazing book called Lost Connections. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of the impetus of the book was really about a person who was on his own mental health journey and, you know, had been through a series of, um, you know, medication mm. and talk therapy and different things. And, and really what he kind of comes to, and it's a phenomenal book because it does, it, it goes to different corners of the world and explores the different um, almost myths yeah. of what we we have taken on to yeah. be mental health and wellness. And he unpacks them and he realizes at the heart of this mental wellness is human connection. Mm, yeah. And I think it's interesting to have read this book during the pandemic because we have to be separated. Yeah. But we're finding different ways to connect. And I know in, in reading some of the work that you've done, and you just mentioned this, you've also done some of this in a telehealth way. So mm -hmm. I would love to start there because I yeah. think a lot of us are interacting with mm -hmm. mental wellness resources differently, be it something like yoga, be it something like meditation, be it something like talk therapy, yeah. or even in um, in the medicine realm, right? There are people interacting with doctors and physicians and psychiatrists differently. So if you, if you can, let's start there and, and, yeah. and talk about how has this been different um, mm. in your world helping people on their mental wellness journeys? Yeah, so 
just to reframe the question, so how I use my healing methods in a telehealth experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, <clears throat> you know, if we were having a telehealth session right now, <laughs> you know, asking you the right questions, helping you get connected with yourself, not all the peripheral around you, um, mm. you know, really reconnecting with your body, how your body feels right now, how does your breath feel, can you name the thoughts that are going through your mind right now? All of those sorts of things can be done whether you're in person or, or in telehealth. And it really goes back to one of the fundamental core values, visions of yoga, which is self-study. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in America, <laughs> you know, yoga has, for better or for worse, you know, there's some stereotypes that it's, it's all about the asana, about the physical practice, but that's just one part of yoga. It's really about self-study and reducing the fluctuations in the mind. Um, and so that can be done in a, tel a telehealth environment, but it, it's more about getting people in touch with their body and evolving and changing from there. Whereas the traditional approach is starting in the mind with the cognitive brain and then moving potentially through other parts of the body. Um, even something like Tibetan Reiki, which is something that I do, is something that can be done in telehealth. You know, I'll have oh, wow. somebody in a specific posture, for example, <clears throat> and, you know, if there's some something going on in the throat chakra or the heart chakra, you know, there are ways to energetically connect with somebody without actually having physical connection with them. Um, because it's it, we're our own conduits for energy. <laughs> Sometimes mm -hmm. we just need that person who <clears throat> helps us believe, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you can attract the energy that you desire, but if you don't believe that you can attract that energy, I help become a magnet for that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much of this um, mind-body connection yeah. that, that we've we've I think we've been learning about, mm -hmm. but I think more probably more um, more deliberately in the past year or two in yeah. the pandemic, we've seen trends of people introducing, be it yogic practices or meditation practices or mindfulness practices. And, and, and I have a theory about that. I think in, in some ways it's because we've slowed down for the first time yeah. in our generation um, to this degree. And I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. I, I feel like in the slowing down that the some of the boundaries that were there that mm -hmm. existed for us fell away too. Mm. And then because of that, there's stuff that comes up, um, yeah. be it body work or thoughts that you maybe in the past, you didn't necessarily have to deal with because we got um, distracted because mm -hmm. we were moving, going places, doing things. Um, and when we're prevented from doing that, we kind of have to sit mm -hmm. with our own, our own makeup of ideas and who we are. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do actually are to facilitate silent retreats for people because it's like the deepest way to be with yourself <laughs> and it, which can also be very scary <laughs> mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> because I can't pick up my phone and check my email or see what's on social media when those uncomfortable thoughts or sensations come up which is kind of how we're programmed um, we are looking for those distractions and and so I love how you you started out with the word boundaries but we ended mm -hmm. up on the word distractions because <laughs> that's right. really what they are um because i i feel i feel like there is there is a sense of unhealthy boundaries right now <laughs> um or or there were in terms of um, was it really a boundary when i dropped my children off and then went to school you know that's not necessarily a boundary <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just you know how you're spending your day um but like you said it's a it's just a distraction um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, people have really been sitting with themselves, with their thoughts, how they feel in their body. Um, you know, from some people in my network, you hear about the, the high in incidence of divorce that's happening and separations that are happening. And so this, this is having a huge ripple effect, you know, um, when people start to be, get to know themselves a little bit more and they see how that translates into their relationships. <clears throat> And yeah, absolutely. One of the big themes that I've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, because I talk a lot about stress management and chronic stress, and I think oftentimes people are looking to the external world to change, to minimize the stress that's in our life. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like 
percent of the stress, maybe that's a little high, <laughs> that we feel can can be managed by things that we do for ourselves. Because you really can't rely on your partner to change, your kids to change, your job to change. You can take action towards those changes, but it's so much easier to start with yourself. But that is often the hardest place to start because you might have to admit that you've done something wrong, something feels wrong. You know, and, and so one of, the, one of the big things I do is teach people how to sit with discomfort <laughs> that they can't change. And just what's it like to just allow that discomfort to be there. Yeah, I think it's, it's so powerful for you to say that because in my, in my um, working world, I, you know, I help people go through change. And one of the things that I notice is there's sort of this evolution away from show me the tool, mm -hmm. show me the methodology, just give me the checklist, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're tended to be that for, you know, better part of a decade plus, yeah. right? It was just kind of, <coughs> let me pass, go, collect $200, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Get me on my way on this change journey. Now there seems to be this change towards allow me to sit in discomfort, but just don't leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, don't make me go through it alone. And I think that's what you're talking about, which yeah. is people are sort of edging to that, place of discomfort because that's where the learning begins absolutely yeah and would you would you say that absolutely yeah the you know i think what's that saying like the the pasture discomfort is where the real growth happens some, something like that very mm -hmm. cliche um and I, and I think if you look at the high rate of opioid use and addiction and i don't know how it is where you are but here in new hampshire it's a huge problem and mm -hmm. i think that validates the fact that people aren't able to sit with the discomfort because they do turn to these substances um, and there are some situations people with significant pts or ptsd where um, like a cannabis regimen is very effective and there are certain situations where people need pharmaceutical interventions because of chemical imbalance in the brain, you know, there are certainly situations where some kind of intervention like that is necessary. So I don't want to belittle it or anything. Um, but again, it, statistically, I think a majority of people, if they have a deeper connection to themselves, they have a deeper connection to how they feel in their body, what's happening right now, not in the past, not what's going to happen in the future. Um, it, it really empowers them to live a life with more contentment, more equanimity. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, as I'm just talking, is, um, and this has been coming up a lot in the yoga therapy networks that I belong to, um, my mentor, Michael Lee, who founded this um, Phoenix Rising School of Yoga Therapy, he talks a lot about equanimity versus like happiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how equanimity is so much better than happiness. <laughs> um, and I know for me personally, that's kind of the state of being that I want to be in because happiness can be so fleeting. And, right. you know, when, at what point do you have to add more money, more clothes, more whatever to maintain that state of happiness? Um, and I, and again, I, I, I mentioned that because I think it goes hand in hand with some of the, you know, the, the suicide I don't know what to call it, issues, pandemic we're having, you know, with mm -hmm. the pandemic, the rate of suicide, the rate of addiction, you know, those to me are all signs that it's time to start doing this self-study work um, to create a really powerful shift in consciousness over the next decade, especially coming yeah. out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think the word equanimity is such a powerful word. I remember sharing with a guest maybe a couple episodes ago that there was a practice I came upon uh, maybe four or five years ago, which which allowed you to sort of um, pick a word for the year mm. and kind of let that word be your anchor. And yes. one year, I forget if it was maybe 2017, I feel like, um, equanimity was that word for me. Nice. And it's so interesting because it's not a word that comes up in everyday conversation no. all that much. And people sort of think they know what it means. They're kind of like, okay, I can put it together in my head and what it means. But I would love to have you define it. Um, for you, when you think about equanimity, what does that feel like to you? And what does it mean to you? Um, and I would love for others to hear that because I think it's a word that people do want to spend more time with. Mm. But we all know we have different definitions of it. So I would love yeah. to hear what yours is. Yeah, and I'm going to start by answering that question <laughs> with the word balance. I hear from mm. so many people, they're trying to find balance in their life. You're never, you're never finding balance. You're always having to pick one thing over the other. 
Um, and so equanimity for me is being able to, you know, wisely choose where I'm going to spend that time. And the time that I'm spending on that is supporting my highest self, my highest state of being. Um, there's no sense of striving. There's no sense of, um, of attachment. Um, I get, I get, I get, it's just a, a state of being that feels really good mm-hmm. in my mind and my body without that sense of striving, you know, what, what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in kind of this, what, what's next society, like what's next on my Instagram feed, what's next in my email box, you know? Um, when's my next booster shot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's, yeah. it's, it's all, ev- everything is sort of the, when's the next, yeah. um, set of news when's the yeah. next mandate when's yeah. the next closure yeah and and i'm someone who doesn't have social media on my phone i don't have tv at home so i am very intentional about you know one of the words i use a lot is nutriments i don't know if you've ever heard that term but i've not no um it's a it's a term that i discovered in a book by Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. of course he's one of the foremost thought leaders on Buddhism and mindfulness, amazing. Um, And he was talking about the intentionality of choosing the nutriments that you bring into your life. And it's not just the food that you eat or what you consume, um, it's what you watch on the TV and what books you read and what people you interact with. And I think from where we were prior to the pandemic to what is happening right now, my hope is that people are gonna have that realization of being more intentional and mindful with their time and their being and who and what they chose choose to bring into their life. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of circle back on one of the things that you talked about before was um, facilitating silent retreats. Yeah. Um, I, again, that's in- an interesting concept for a lot of people because, as you said, it's um, enticing and terrifying at the yes. same time. <laughs> yes. um, we were just talking about there's a lot of noise in the world. There's mm. a lot of... Um, kind of stuff coming at us and I've had conversations with people about retreats I've actually done one silent retreat myself it was over the course of two days maybe three days if I recall as a participant as a participant yeah um it was some of the hardest work I've ever done Mm -hmm. um it was very eye-opening it was terrifying it was very nourishing all of those things Mm. um and my experience I think it was I sort of went into it a little too naive. And what I mean by that is I wasn't quite as in tune with the fact that going into something like that as an empathic person Mm. would mean that I would actually pick up on and sort of sense a lot of the things that were not being said, but being said Mm. um, in that space. I think it was about, you know, six or seven people. So it wasn't, it wasn't a large group, but um, in, in my experience, we sort of started it off with just one intention setting. So it was, it was, you know, the one speaking that you kind of did was the intention that you were hoping to kind of carry into it. And, um, and in, in the, in this particular, you know, retreat, there were, I sensed a lot of people probably working through some trauma Mm -hmm. and working through that sense of self-love, self-acceptance. Do I belong? Am I worthy? Yeah. And in the silence, um, I heard all of that Mm -hmm. and I think it was for me it was very heavy because um, I immediately felt the sense of well I have to do I have to do something to help Um, and you can't really right you're you you can walk on the grounds you can um, go into the labyrinth and walk around you can meditate you can journal a little bit but Mm -hmm. it was extremely eye-opening to me to understand how much you can actually feel and understand and hear without words being spoken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially as an empath. And yeah, to witness another person's suffering and not being able to help them. Um, but I think there is some value in not having to be the person to fix it for them. And it's right. more about holding space because coming from someone with childhood trauma and addiction and I'm like surprised I'm even still alive right now from some of the stuff, you know, coming from that place. Like I, 
it just took me so long to realize like I have all the tools that I need but right. but I had to, to find that within myself um, that I already have those tools um, but working and 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 I did talk therapy for quite a while and and it's amazing work but it only works with like 10% of our being <laughs> and mm-hmm. it really wasn't until I got into the body-based therapy and the energy work that it kind of connected all of the dots you know the 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 mind is important talking about your emotions is important um but feeling the emotion in your body because you have a somatic experience before you have an emotion it just Mm -hmm. happens so quickly um and so the more you can get in touch with what's happening in your body when you feel anger um that's where the big shift is going to happen because it takes it out of the cognitive mind and it starts to connect it with the emotional mind, which is really where you can start to transform that discomfort, um, those uncomfortable emotions. There's a, a process called um, emotional reconsolidation, and mm-hmm. it would be awesome to have a psychotherapist on your podcast who can talk about it a lot, a lot better than I'm going to in the next 30 seconds. But in the simplest sense, it basically takes, let's say for the simplest example, somebody has a traumatic memory that's associated with an emotion, let's call it fear. Mm-hmm. Through body-based work, you can help recreate that sensation that was originally associated with the trauma and start to reconsolidate that memory away from that traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, um, yeah. And so you can do it. It, with psychotherapy, but you can also do it either as a, as a companion or in a body-based therapy as well. Um, but um, memory reconsolidation is relatively new. It's only been coming out, I'd say, in the last one to two decades as all of this research is unfolding around neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll send you the YouTube video on it. it I'd it, love to it, see it. It recaps yeah. it <laughs> in, a, in a really nice way. Um, but the reason I mention that is because I do feel like there's a lot of people who are going into a mental health experience from that more cognitive, because I've heard from a lot of clients, you know, I've been with this therapist for six months and I feel like I'm just repeating the same stories over and over. And I know being in the mental health field that that is very valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's sometimes easier, quicker, more impactful ways um, to improve our mental health with yeah. this more collective approach. Um, you know, I was working with a client on Sunday who is a sex addict, basically. Um, and so we were able to do some body-based therapy, some talk therapy, some Reiki. I got my singing bowls out. Nice. <laughs> um, Love so, the singing bowls. you know, this whole collective approach to helping people optimize their mental health, um, I think is the wave of the future, if you will. Um, shifting away from just that traditional mindset of talk therapy um, into helping people make change a lot quicker because you're working with more systems of the body. Yeah, I think it's so interesting as you were talking about it, the the visual that I got that was literally dropping in was cells in mm-hmm. your body reorganizing. Literally, yep. New neural That's pathways. Little, I was literally picturing yeah. this. Yeah, you're building new neural pathways um, you've even, I've even seen and, and read studies. So one of the, the sister science to yoga is Ayurveda. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with Ayurveda? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, um, the teachers of Ayurveda, and she's in the San Francisco area, she was talking about some studies that she was doing that shows with the Ayurveda yoga lifestyle, um, you still have, say, the same genes for cancer, let's say, mm-hmm. um, but those genes get turned off or turned up depending on your other lifestyle choices. So, right. you know, connections, like you said, the nutrients that you feed your body with, the nutrients you feel, feed your soul with, um, mm-hmm. releasing toxic energy that's accumulated from old coworkers, old friends, um, things like that. Um, yeah. So it's just fascinating to see how this type of work impacts people on a genetic level. Um, right. It's just amazing. I've also talked, I think, in the past with some guests about um, a kind of a field, uh, I guess a a study area that I've read about called epigenetics, which is sort of the the ancestral, right, Mm -hmm. of what happened to those that came before you and how it actually kind of imprints and and encodes on your genes and into your point. 
there are things that can happen that literally turn those genes on. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about as well the ability to almost take back that control mm -hmm. and in through the right choices, right interactions, mm -hmm. right investigations yeah. to um, to turn off certain things or change the order of certain things. And one of the things I'm always reminded of is trauma resides in the body. Yeah. Right? We, think, we think of it as we process it mentally, mm -hmm. right? We try and deconstruct it, we try and understand it, we try and have conversations with it mentally, but it resides in the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, work I've done in the past with some amazing teachers around the fascia, yeah. which it's just fascinating to think that there's this almost microscopic netting that mm -hmm. just sort of holds parts of your muscles and your organs and your body in place um, is just as important as the skeletal system. Yeah. Because in that sort of microfiche um, fascia, there's a lot of trauma that's held and displaced um, yeah. throughout your body. And that's why in some cases people listening might understand, you know, you think you've got a pain that resides in your lower back. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually might be something that's to do with your shoulder or your hip mm -hmm. or your foot. And those who have had, you know, um, shiatsu done or things of that nature where you can say, well, why is it when I push here, it relieves there? Well, think of it as this all connected intermap mm -hmm. that is inside your body. And that's where um, kind of in to your point earlier around the, the magnetic part of this, right? Yeah. I think pain and trauma goes where it knows it will thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a, a little bit of a magnet to it. So I think all of this is 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 fascinating because people are learning more about this oh. through the different modalities yeah. and they're listening differently to their body. Mm -hmm. um, and that causes them, I think, to ask different questions, which yeah. in turn changes their mental um, construct all back to the point we were saying before around the cells are reordering them. Mm -hmm. It's like a Lego block. You're, you're, you're changing the, the way you're building the Lego block so that you get to a different structure yeah. so that it can hold better or be more creative or convey something that you haven't been able to convey before. Mm -hmm. To me, that's all exciting stuff, but yeah. you and I are a lot closer to it. It might terrify <laughs> some people as we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important, you know, to have a practitioner who, you know, I, I tend to pride myself on being, you know, very compassionate, lots of unconditional positive regard, lots of radical acceptance, um, mm -hmm. because you have to have a safe container to be totally vulnerable and get stripped down and rebuild yourself back up again. Um, and, and one of the other things too is um, I also like people to be really empowered because again, you have all the tools, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the healing process doesn't have to be this years long, thousands of dollars. It can just be adding more intention to your meditation and learning how to, like you said, listen to your body. Oh, there's that tingling in my stomach when I have this emotion. Okay, mm -hmm. let me pay attention to that. Um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Stephanie Costello, who I think you've spoken to. Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. um, she does coaching around intimacy and relationships. And we were saying, I said to her, I said, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. Yes. I didn't make that up. I'm sure I read it somewhere. But um, I just think that's such a powerful statement because, you know, we could say, oh, I've got a stomach ache. Oh, it's just a stomach ache. But why do I have this stomach ache? You mm -hmm. know, it wasn't the food that I ate. It's this person that I continue to interact with who has an energetic effect on me, who makes me feel uncomfortable, but I'm not comfortable speaking my truth and setting hard boundaries with this person. Um, mm -hmm. I see that a lot with family dynamics, especially um, with family of origin. And mm -hmm. so it's just when you start to ask better questions, <laughs> especially about your state of being, um, in a way that is non-judgmental, of course, that can yeah. really have a profound impact on people's self-awareness, and and self-awareness is the biggest tool to any change and transformation, um, yeah. and then acceptance. And one of the other words that you mentioned a few minutes ago was discernment, mm. which I think is a word like equilibrium that doesn't come up a lot. Mm -hmm. If if you study Buddhism and the Eightfold Path, you you may be a little more familiar with it, but it, it's basically like really connecting with that wise part of you. Um, so in yoga, we have what's called the koshas. Um, and it's, are you familiar with the koshas? I don't know if I'm familiar with the okay. koshas, no. So simplified version is basically, you know, the five layers of your state of being. You've got your physical body, um, you have your breath, your energy body, you have your mental body, 
And that's pretty much what we're using throughout the day to navigate the day. And the mental body is kind of resourcing from that filing system of all of our past experiences to make decisions. But then you have the wise body and then the, the bliss body, which could be your spirit, your soul. And it's when you start to get into like the the, the wise body and the bliss body that you start to become more discerning. You're really able to mm -hmm. look at what's happening in your body and around you um, with more discernment. Like, is that person really mad at me or did I have past experiences and I'm making an assumption and now I've created this whole story around this person could potentially be mad at me? And we can really say, okay, maybe that person just didn't have a lot of time for me today. I don't need to internalize that and make a whole story about it. Let's just take a deep breath. I'm fine. I'm great. <laughs> Get back mm -hmm. on to our day. Um, so there's this little tiny shift between using our mind to make decisions about what we're going to wear to work and what we're going to have for dinner to that really wise self that can make those bigger decisions that affect our, all of our relationships with self and others. I don't even know how I got on that tangent, but no, I <laughs> just, think that's yeah. so. It's so important to think about because I, I think when you talk about like the bliss, the mm -hmm. bliss body yeah. part of it, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have been reading about and talking about during this time of change, and we've probably been reading about the great resignation, right? People making these drastic mm, changes yeah. in their jobs to go do something that they really want to do. And, and a lot of times it comes with this question about who am I when I'm in flow, mm, right? Yes. When, yep. when all, and, and that's, that's what comes to mind when you talk about the bliss body yep. for me is that higher state of, you know, when you're in flow because you lose sense of time, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, you, you, you are not really thinking about what others think about you. Mm -hmm. You are coming from such a place of higher being and higher source yeah. that it feels, um, it feels it's not of you, right? Mm -hmm. It feels that you're a vessel for it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are exploring that. Um, and it's helpful to hear you kind of talk about the different layers because you're right. Those first three are what we go through the world with. Yeah. Those Very last superficial. two. superficial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. what we need to do to make the motions. Yeah. Well, we're a spiritual being trapped in a human body. So <laughs> exactly. Right. And yeah. sometimes people think it's the other way around, right? right? I'm this human body trying to achieve and get to that spiritual state. Yeah. It's if tr flip that script for a yeah. little bit and say you're a spiritual being and body that is actually trapped in this vessel for this time mm -hmm. for first, for said purpose. The other thing which I find really fascinating is your point around questions. Um, I, I sometimes remind people this as well. We are, we are held captive by our questions mm. and we are freed by our questions. Yeah. And it's kind of like this concept of, love right mm. it's the thing that everybody wants most in the world and it's the thing that everybody's most terrified of yeah so it's one in the same mm -hmm. and questions i think the same of questions yeah can it can you be held captive by it yes oftentimes we do right mm -hmm. we don't ask that question we let it mm -hmm. stew within us and yeah. it builds this invisible prison around us yeah the minute we ask that question we are freed mm -hmm. from that prison and to your point around that all that resides within us. We have everything we need. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone yesterday, a former, a former guest, um, and we, we joked about this sense of how freeing it is to know that you don't have to go pick up another business book. <laughs> right. Yeah. You already know it all. Yeah. Like what you're going to read in that business book is a reordering mm -hmm. of some of the stuff you already know. Right. Yeah through the lens of some some other person and that's their experience and that's wonderful mm -hmm. but that is in itself not going to you know make you feel any more complete mm -hmm. um yeah in fact it's just gonna remind you what you already know mm -hmm. um yeah. and i think there's this great kind of bubbling happening around with discernment with people trying to figure out who they are mm -hmm. we're starting to ask those questions that they normally would have said i can't possibly whisper those words into the world mm, yeah what i've seen here in my area and you may you you may be way ahead of us over on the west coast but <laughs> cause you always seem to be a few years ahead of us but you know you've got shops popping up with tarot cards and oracle cards and crystals yes. and uh, you know mediumship and all of that work is amazing but i think it's a sign that people have lost their trust and intuition with themselves because yep. again they're seeking these external sources and trust me i have an astrologer and i have a medium that i work with and see on a regular basis but it's more for affirmation 
Um, And so I think there there needs to be a fine balance. And so, you know, a a great example of a client I'm working with recently who has some GI issues is struggling with some infertility. um, And she's so disconnected from how her body feels and it has led to a lot of chronic disease and discomfort. And so I'm just getting her back in touch with how her body actually feels on a moment to moment basis, but then also noticing when her body actually feels good because she's in so much pain all the time. She can't discern what feels good. So how can your body grab onto feeling good and healing if it's always attached to the discomfort and the chronic pain? Right. Um, It's like when I was in the military for years, they used to say, um, it's not pain. It's just a reminder you're alive. Yeah. And I was like, oh, (laughs) yes, and... (laughs) Yeah, I think I had told you I've done quite a bit of training with the Warriors at Ease Network. Okay. Um, If anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't heard of Warriors at Ease, please look them up. They're an amazing organization um, doing doing good work. And when I was in the last training, it's just interesting to look in my daughter-in-laws in the military mm-hmm. um, so we're really exposed to this now um, but how you're trained and all the untraining and unlearning that you have to do when you come out of the military as you know oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's just it can be an uphill battle especially yeah. people who have had you know combat experience and um, but even even just basic training <laughs> mm-hmm. and they I, I don't know if you know this but warriors at ease um, I think it was December of 2020, they actually instituted yoga and meditation in their first boot camp. I did read that, yes. Right. I think it yeah. was either North Carolina or South Carolina, which I think is amazing mm-hmm. um, to see that. It's a very different military than when I joined, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I, I remember, I usually stay pretty close to the news that comes out of, in, in two arenas, one mm-hmm. being the physical wellness part of the military, yeah. the other being the mental wellness part. So which still has some catching up to do, although mm-hmm. it's made strides. Yeah. And I remember reading about when they were changing the physical fitness test mm-hmm. and to, to include different exercises you would do that frankly were much less impact, mm-hmm. which I thought, okay, this is great. <laughs> because as someone who you know was uh, carrying huge amounts of weight on your, you know, on your back and mm-hmm. running and running in boots, I mean, it, it, it does things to your knees and your shins and yeah. your feet, right? And yeah. so, there's a lot of people with chronic, um, you know, uh, physical issues in their joints as a result of that. So they yeah. started t- paying attention to that and changing that. And then I do remember reading about the yoga being introduced. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself how powerful that is for two reasons. One, it's the physical betterment of the body. Um, because people have to remember that when you go in the military, it's like a contract on your body. Yeah. I mean, your body is essentially the asset mm-hmm. that they're making a contract with. So you know, something as silly as getting a sunburn, mm-hmm. um, according to military regulation, you're out of uniform if mm-hmm. you've got a sunburn, right? Because yeah. um, your body is part of the uniform. Um, and so something like yoga is really interesting when they introduce that because it's the physical betterment of the body, but mm-hmm. it's also the mental betterment of the body. And it was probably a way, I believe, I don't have enough research on this, it was a way for them to address the mental challenge without necessarily saying we have to address the mental challenge. Yeah, yeah, and get ahead of it. I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest words that I took away from the training that I did with them is the term readiness. Yeah. And we talk a lot about resilience, but you really need readiness in order to be resilient. And so I've kind of taken that word even though it's used in that military ter- in that military culture mm-hmm. into work with like women for example who own a business trying to run a house, uh, you know, making sure dinner's on the table, like how can we incorporate that theme of readiness into your life to reduce stress? And, mm-hmm. it, and it comes with self-care practices. Um, you know, I remember the, I had a special needs child and I just remember literally the trauma every morning of having to wake him up and get him ready for school mm-hmm. and the stress that was being caused. And and it's inter- the re- I mentioned that because it goes circling back to what I said before. You know, I was relying on him to make a change yes. versus, okay, what can I do to make a change? Okay, I'm going to get up a little bit early. I'm going to make breakfast a little bit easier. Like, what can I do to reduce stress? Because he's not going to change. Right. Yeah. Um, I so think, that readiness you know, piece, yeah. Yeah, the resilient piece is also really important to remember. And it's something that 
a lot of times I, I, I explore with folks sort of the, the uh, etymology, the root of mm-hmm. words. Yeah. And I, I oftentimes have to remind people that the root for the word resiliency comes from Latin resilire, which actually, if you look it up, you know, we, we, always, we always maybe mistake that we think resilience is all about like pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you actually look up its Latin root, it, a couple definitions say it's all about actually taking that first step back yeah. in order that you can get your footing to push forward. Yeah. And I think about that from a yogic standpoint, yeah. right? I mean, how many poses do you, you don't start off going straight forward. You right. start off the pose by putting a leg back mm, yeah. and getting your planting yeah. and then going into the pose or holding the pose or doing, and that's such a great example of resilience in action. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that speaks to two things. Well, I always say everything in life is a yoga pose. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, I, I was working with a client recently who um, had a very bad experience in college and ended up being in this very toxic relationship for about three years. And so she wanted to end this relationship. And I said, okay, we need to think about this as a yoga pose. You know, how are you going to stand? How are you going to breathe? And of course, you know, what are you going to say? Who's your support system? Mm Because, you know, you can't stand in tree pose if you don't have a steady breath with a focal point grounded into the floor beneath you. And and that's how we should move through life. Um, That's great. And I think that, you know, when we have that focus, clarity, and confidence, it dramatically changes everything. And then the other thing, um, which I just lost it, <laughs> you had said something else that was really powerful too. Um, oh, finding the pause, taking a deep breath, taking mm-hmm. that step back. You know, you, you hear your phone ding and you pick it up. You see that red dot on Facebook and you have to check it on Facebook. Our mind, and I'm sure, you know, I think it was the social network, you know, we mm-hmm. see the impact that social media alone is having, but there's other pieces too. Um, We really, really need to be mindful about taking that pause and taking that step back and really owning, owning ourselves again and Mm -hmm. not letting these peripheral things drive us. (laughs) You know, we need to drive ourselves. Yeah. I think um, that kind of brings me to this. um, You, you send out this regular newsletter um, to, to folks. And there was one recently that I really, really enjoyed from, from the spark that, um, the, the subject was, I'm not good enough. Mm. And I think it was really interesting because when you see an email subject like that come across uh, your inbox, um, no matter what you're doing, you stop in your tracks. <laughs> Thank um, you. It, was, really, it felt very risky. <laughs> uh, well, good for you for taking the risk, right? Yeah. I think um, it's one of those things where, to your point, right, we look at the 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 bing of the phone, the red dot of the face, like we're doing all that sort of signaling um, attunement. If mm-hmm. you, know, I'm, That's a generous word for yeah. it, attunement. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then an email comes across and the subject is, I'm not good enough. And you literally find yourself gasping for air because mm. it's so resonant mm. and it's so resounding. And the thing I really appreciated about it was it took me out of my body, it actually took me out of my head. Mm-hmm long enough for me to sort of sit in my body mm-hmm. and then proceed to read through the paragraphs. And I love what you talk about because it's, you know, you essentially go into this discussion and I won't belabor it, but you ask like, what would it take for us to begin to change our own internal narrative? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is. It's my own internal narrative. Everybody who probably received that email, some who might be listening now and, 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 and others who might listen afterwards, they will know that exact internal narrative mm-hmm. that came surfacing to the top when they read those few words mm-hmm. i'm not good enough so can you yeah. tell me about what why you took that risk yeah. to send out that note that i think that may have been your intention i don't mm-hmm. know but mm-hmm. kudos to you because that's what came up in me okay yeah i mean to you you need to create emotional response <laughs> to mm-hmm. get people to pay attention Um, I feel like there's a lot of numbness happening right now. You know, we're just seeing things on the screen, but, you know, we're not having that somatic experience. So, yes, the intention was to grab people's attention. And and, and that is something that I've heard so much from people. It's still something that I have to deal with on a daily basis, you know, as a as a therapist, as a business owner, as a partner, as a mom, you know, you know. And so. 
I think it's it's just a, a something that we all struggle with. And so if mm-hmm. we have this collective, oh, you you're struggling with that too. I'm struggling with that too. You know, this aspect of loving kindness and compassion is able to emerge, which is really powerful because then mm-hmm. we can have healthy conversations that are free of shame and judgment. And it's really just a conversation because once you can name it, you can tame it. <laughs> and once you can yeah. feel it, you can heal it. You know, it's, it goes back to that ripple effect. Um, and so I get, I guess that's, that's why I use that subject line and why that conversation felt so important to me because we're all feeling that right now. Yeah. And I want to help people move forward from that versus move back from that. Um, and there's just so many ways how it can impact your life. Um, you know, if you don't feel good enough, you're not going to go after the per- the person, the job. You're not going to show up fully at your kid's rehearsal, whatever it is. Um, it, it can really have a big impact. And that all start with starts with how you feel in your body. Like, how does your right. body feel when self-worth is coming up? When that topic comes yes. up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think that's why it was such a um, pronounced, you know, reaction for me mm-hmm. is like I said, my I didn't process it in the mind. I processed yeah. it in the body. In the body, uh, yeah. because um, yeah, and maybe you felt for me, maybe you didn't even know it was gonna be something for you. Maybe you're like, Oh, she doesn't feel good enough. What's that about? You know? Mm. So it's it, it kind of works both <laughs> both and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah both and yeah. Um I would love, as we kind of come to a close here, I would love for you to tell folks about how they can get in touch, learn about the spark, learn about, you mentioned Phoenix Rising as well. I mean, these are all um, things you're involved in. You're a business owner. You're obviously helping other people in their journey. So um, would love for, for you to share how people can get in touch with you, connect with you. If these are things that resonated with them, maybe there's people that are kind of on the cusp of taking that that step to change their internal narrative, mm-hmm. to answer the question, you know, why do I not feel good enough? Yeah. What's the best way for them to, you know, maybe get in touch? Yeah, so probably the, the easiest way to get in touch with me um, is through the website shay.us, S-H-A-E.us. So okay. I was able to get that in some miracle. <laughs> it's, That's awesome. It's quick and short, usually easy for people to remember. Um, the Spark US is also available. Um, I also have some resources around stress at the website, um, the StressX Global. So I have a, a free tool that I use with people around stress elimination. Um, so there, there's a few different resources. Um, Phoenix Rising, the School of um, Phoenix Rising School of Yoga Therapy is um, founded by one of my mentors, Michael Lee. An amazing school, um, Warriors at Ease, mm-hmm. an awesome program. So yeah. I would love to connect. And the one thing I o- I also like to say is, um, as you know, we met in a networking group. <laughs> um, yeah. For me, for better or for worse, it's not necessarily around getting new clients, becoming a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> it's about having conversations just like this mm-hmm. um, that is going to improve the world. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. I love connecting with other practitioners, with people who just want to have rich conversation, for people who are looking for a community around these sorts of topics. Um, so I just like to mention that because to me, it's not all about the money yeah. and the business. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I think it's it's um, it's also one of the pressures that a lot of small business and entrepreneur um, folks feel, right? Yeah. It's that sense of like, again, back to what we were saying before, yeah. like I have to achieve, I have to do, yeah. I have to reach. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. And um, one of the things I was really um, moved by, I think last year I took a course through um, Coursera um, and it was through Yale um, taught by Ashley Santos, who taught this course. A lot of people know about, I think it's called the science of well-being or the science mm-hmm. of happiness. Nice. And um, one of the things that she actually shows a lot of research for um, is, as you were describing, you know, at a certain point, the reach um sort of expires like when Mm. you go for more money more money more money they actually have seen and i think the numbers show that after about seventy five thousand or so Mm -hmm. um dollars and whatever salary i think is what they say um it becomes kind of diminishing returns so the more that you reach for your actual happiness index starts to go down beyond a certain point and um and it was very data driven that Mm. sort of 
jumped off the page yeah. at, at people to say, okay, if this actually is not yielding any more purpose or happiness, like where, where do I stop the reach or where mm -hmm. do I stop the grasping? Yeah. Um, and it requires you to actually investigate and have questions with what does success look like? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what does is, it feel like? <laughs> yeah. What is it? What is causing you to want to strive for that much stuff? Mm -hmm. And usually we can pinpoint it, <laughs> right. you know, right. pretty quickly, but it, it requires that self-awareness and that acceptance and like, okay, even if that person questions my self-worth because I haven't achieved that milestone, I still feel amazing and I'm living my best life and that's what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. There's going to be a guest I have on in the near future here who is an author of a book called The Discovery of Less. Mm. Um, and his whole concept is minimalism, right? Yeah. Less is progress. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a fascinating discussion because yeah. I think more people are kind of awakening to that, be it in downsizing, be it in giving stuff away, more mm -hmm. more to charity, or just focusing on what's truly aligned with your passion as yeah. opposed to you know, what somebody else is prescribing as yeah. success and progress. So it's an exciting time as well as kind of historic time. Yeah, very historic. And it, it's, you know, the, what comes next? <laughs> and right. I think, you know, if anything from this phone call is, you know, as much as possible being empowered to take the next right action in the life, in yes. your life is, is really important to create that change that you want. And I think so yeah. often we focus on what's that huge momentous change that we want, but just bring it back to that one thing, like standing, I'm going to stand more firmly into the ground <laughs> as I, yep. as I take my next step with a deep breath, like, right. <laughs> what's the yoga pose you're in right yeah. now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before you can get to the Ashtanga level, you got to right. be understanding like where you're at yeah. right now. Yeah. So. And I love, I know we need to finish up, but sure. um, just pick one pose, one mm -hmm. yoga pose, you know, how does it feel in your body? And, you know, we're in this conditioning of like, you go to yoga and you move for 75 minutes and you breathe and you sweat, and, but it could just be one pose. Yeah. You know, what's your power pose? Um, I think it's Amy Cubby wrote a book yes. on power posture. Power posture. Yeah, the, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but anyways, thank you so much yeah. for having me. Of this, course. This thank you. This was uh, a long time coming, but yeah. I knew it was going to be as nourishing and comforting as, um, as I anticipated. So thank yeah. you for sharing all the wonderful work that you're doing thank in the you. world. I'm, I'm proud to echo it out. Um, I know it'll find its way to the bodies and, and minds and hearts and fascia of yeah. those people that, um, that need it. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. You never know. One word could trigger something, and that's, that's all it takes if you can change absolutely. one person. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you well, thank again. Thank you. And, good to see uh, you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Very well, good to see you. Yeah, be well in the world wherever you are. Yeah.